Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here in the home studio at Pond City Market. Intro and outro, guest recorded by Jerry. How exciting is that, everyone? First time she's been involved in this show because she really doesn't care about it otherwise. It's not true. Uh, so this week, everyone, I had another drummer in, uh, which was great. I had Mr. Eric Slick of the great band Dr. Dog, uh, Philly's own Dr. Dog, one of my favorite groups. And this is one of those where I was... Like, hey, I love Dr. Dog. They're coming to Atlanta. Wonder if anyone from the band would want to be on the show. And as it turns out, Eric Slick is a big movie fan and is a big, big Lebowski fan and uh, got back in touch and said, I'd love to come on and talk Big Lebowski. And we did that. What a great, great movie. And I know a lot of you are very excited about this. So Eric and I sat down and talked about music, about Dr. Dog. Uh, very interesting story how he got involved. And he's just a really cool, interesting guy overall. And then we dive in deep on the Big Lebowski. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So without any delay, here we go with Eric Slick on the Big Lebowski. Yeah, I do a formal intro before and of after. So yeah. no, I, sort of I, I checked in yesterday. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be totally unprepared. I, I, also, I also rewatched the Big Lebowski. Oh, well, that always helps. It does help. I had... Um, do you know The Walking Dead, the TV show? Oh, yeah. I had, you know, the guy that plays Aaron, Ross Marquand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had him in yesterday and uh, for Die Hard. And <laughs> uh, we've both seen it. We were kind of laughing. We've both seen it dozens of times. But there's something different about 
watching it analytically for something like this. Oh, yeah. And taking notes. And he did the same thing. He came in with notes. And those mean, are always the best ones. So, yeah. Thanks oh. for rewatching Lebowski. Oh, well. It's not yeah. like that's a chore, but. It's not a chore. And it's one of those movies I could watch over and over again. And it's like a tattoo yeah. on my forehead. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it really is. So, you were from Philly originally? I'm from Philadelphia. Nice. Yeah. Born that's, and raised. What a great town. Oh, man. Philly is the best. It's changed a lot. Yeah. Much like Atlanta has changed a lot. Sure. Um, but Philly is amazing, and uh, it's a huge part of my cultural and uh, just my DNA. Like, yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't take the Philly out of me. It's if, one of those towns, I think, too. There's a lot of pride. Yeah. For a oh, city. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Philly pride. Some would argue an, an, uh, in uh, pride in excess. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, a t- we're, we're, you know, we're a town that really thrives on the pride of its sports teams, even sure. when its sports teams have been utter failures. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I've got a couple of really good Philly friends that are, you know. Lifers. Lifers. Yeah. Are well, you into the sports at all? or uh, I, I, too, I'm I a Fairweather fan, unfortunately. Right. Uh, well, you're doing pretty well then lately. Yeah, well, this year is a great year for us. Yep. Uh, you know, my dad was like crying tears of joy when the oh, Super I'm Bowl sure. happened. Um, but, you know, it was like the first Super Bowl I've watched in full probably in like five years. Yeah. And I was, like, jumping around my house. I mean, I was excited. Well, you had the same, well, not the same experience as me as a Falcons fan. But uh, up until it all went bad, we had the same experience where I feel like the whole world was on your side. Mm-hmm. The whole world was on our side. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a New England fan. Oh, my God. Nobody wants to see them win unless you are <laughs> literally a New England person. Yeah. Like, everybody wanted Philly to win. We are, yeah, we we have a reputation for being underdogs, and we also just seem to have a lot of curses against us. I mean, we haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1974. The Eagles have never won a Super Bowl. I don't even know, I don't think the Sixers have ever won a championship, to my knowledge. The Phillies, obviously, we had 1980. We got really close in 1993. 2008, ironically, I was in uh, Vilnius, Lithuania (laughs) when we won, and I was so bummed. Uh And actually, the rest of the Dr. Dog dudes were in Australia when the Phillies won, and we were all just, like, pretty heartbroken. Yeah. Um, Well, the Phillies are looking good again. Sixers are better than they've been in forever. Forever. Yeah, but the Sixers, we we got close, but we didn't make it. Yeah, that was was a disappointing playoff run, but it's the first of what will be many. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, as a... You know, as a Philadelphian, but I'm a, I'm an expat. Like I don't live in Philly anymore. I live in Virginia now. Okay, but uh, as a Philadelphian, I I want us to succeed in every possible way. I mean, uh-huh. like I grew up with Philly being like working class. Yeah, you know, it's different now. It's very European uh-huh. <laughs> or something. I don't know how to describe it. There's like five coffee shops per block. Now. Right. Um. But I grew up with it being, of course, I grew up being a very working class place. Like. So whenever any victories happen, we are just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. We would burn the city down. Right. <laughs> In a good way. In a good way. We burn the city down, yeah. Where is... um. Where's the band spread out? It sounds like everyone lives in different places. Uh, yeah. So our uh, Scott McMicken, uh-huh. our singer-songwriter, lives in Tucson, Arizona now. Right. That's cool. Uh, Frank, our guitar player, lives in Jersey. Uh-huh. Um and hopefully I'm not blowing up anybody's spot. Uh, Toby lives in Delaware. Uh, Zach is the only one left in Philadelphia. Okay. He's, he's the dude hanging on to Philly. It seems some of my favorite bands are spread out bands and don't like all live in the same town together. Absence makes the heart grow fond. Yeah. I've got uh, the pavement shirt on that you remarked about. They very famously didn't ever live together. No. 
No. They're um, all over the place. They are all over the place. And and you know what? Uh, the more I tour and the more I hang out with bands, like, it's just becoming a thing. You mm-hmm. know, like, people want to feel comfortable and maybe, like, their hometown doesn't make them feel super comfortable. Right. Um, Philly eventually, for me, became a place where I was a drummer in 13 or 14 different bands. Seriously? Yeah. That's such a drummer trope. Such a drummer <laughs> trope. But dr- but good drummers are in short supply. Yeah, exactly. So I was like in an absurd amount of bands. And one day, you know, I realized that my tour life and my home life were the same thing. Uh-huh. And it just was exhausting. You so were always out with somebody? I was always out with I mean, I'm still always on tour, but like I wanted my home life to feel distinctly different mm-hmm. than my tour life because tour is insanity yeah and when you come home and then you're like all right I, I i remember i came home from vacation i was on vacation in the virgin islands i came home and i played a gig mm. I got, <laughs> like you had to cut it short or you i just... don't know like, like i was on vacation for a week and then we landed in jfk and then uh. i drove down from jfk to philly <laughs> and then immediately played a show you can't I mean, even like go home and have that unwind experience Nothing. Yeah. You know, I remember at the time I was like, I should turn my phone off during this vacation. But then the better half of me was like, no, what if there's a call? Right. What if there's a call? <laughs> you might need to take the call. Um, I think that so speaking of Philly being working class, I think that working class attitude is instilled in the people who are from right. Philly. And like, you know, it's like you I don't know. It's not like fake it till you make it. But it's just like you just have to keep working yeah. and working and working. What? um. So you guys, uh, how did you how did you come to be in the band? Because we we talked a little bit about that about on the elevator, but I want to hear that story because I've been with Doctor Dog as a fan from the beginning. My friend Ryan, shout out to Ryan, turned me on to them when I lived in L.A. and I guess like two thousand one ish. Oh, a long time or ago, two maybe. Yeah, um, Matt, early. Yeah, you were on board early. Well, he was on board early. Wow. Um, oh, sure, sure. But you both were. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Give yourself some credit. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. So the I joined the band in 2010, but I had been a fan of the band for a long time. Really? Yes. Uh, my friend Dan uh, who, uh, was like, you, you got to hear this band, Dr. Dog, their West Philly band. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, all right, great. I listened to it. Totally blew my mind. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I was on... This is how long ago it was. I was like 18 years old. I was on vacation with my family, mm-hmm. and Doctor Dog happened to be playing in the in Atlantic City. I was in Ocean City, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and they were opening for the Rock on Tours, uh, Jack White's yep. side project band. And uh, I was like, "Oh, great! This band I just heard about is playing a show. Mm-hmm. We should all go." So we like <laughs> got a huge group of friends together, and we saw Doctor Dog play yeah. at the House of Blues in Atlantic City. And nice. it was, I mean, it was like transcendent. You yeah. Know? And those early Dr. Dog shows, like, then I would go see them play locally to, like, 40 people. Yeah. 20 people. Yeah, same here. And and it was, like, every time I saw them, I'm like, man, that's the best. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my whole thing early on was, like, man, why aren't these guys bigger? Yeah. Like, why am I in a room with 75 people right now? Um, Yeah, and and then the selfish part of me was, like. Yeah, don't tell anyone. (laughs) No, the the selfish part of me was like, don't tell anyone. And the other selfish part of me was like, I want to play drums in that band. Uh, Uh, So I became fast friends with them. And, uh, you know, we were playing a couple different shows together. And uh, the big one was uh, I was playing with a belly dance troupe at Bonnaroo. Mm Mm-hmm. I had somehow got roped into this, like... Because <laughs> you always answer the phone. Because <laughs> uh, I always answer the phone. Uh, I got roped into this belly dance group uh-huh. gig where I'm playing, like, a doombeck, like a belly dance drum. Wow. Yeah. 
And it was at the Solar Stage at Bonnaroo, and the, it was like this Knoxville belly dance band. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, they're not even a Philly band, but I somehow got connected with these guys, and um, I uh, pull, we pull up to the park, the camping area, the parking area for camping, and uh, a a big van pulls up next to us, and it was Doctor Dog, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Oh, slick, like yeah, Philly," and we were like, "Ah, you know, it was right. like this big moment," and I ended up hanging out with them all weekend, oh, nice. and. Uh, just became really close with them. And poisoned their drummer. And I poisoned their drummer. <laughs> <laughs> Spiritually, no. No, no, it wasn't like that. It was more just like I had so much respect for them, uh-huh. and I loved that band with all of my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, I listened to their first record, Easy Beat, to death. And, yeah, man. Uh, then they had Takers and Leavers EP, and then We All Belong came out, and it yeah. was like a game changer in Philadelphia. Oh, man, such um, a great record. Such a great record. So... uh then they took me out for my 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach, the keyboardist, had this, like, little piece of paper uh, with a bunch of numbers and chicken scratch. Mm-hmm. And uh, at Bonnaroo, he was like, give me your phone number. He didn't have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. He was like, give me your phone number, and uh, on your 21st birthday, I'm going to give you a call, and we're going to hang out no matter what the situation is. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay. He writes my number in, like, the tiniest handwriting I've ever seen on this crappy little card that looks like it's from, like, 1942. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Puts it in his wallet. And then a day before my 21st birthday, I get a call from Zach. Wow. And he's like, hey, uh, Black Keys are playing tomorrow. We're all going. You're on, you're with us. Cool. You're coming with us. And that was my 21st birthday. Wow. So it was just, like, a lot of, like, they kept just being so generous to yeah. me. And then uh, their drummer quit in 2009. And, um... I ran into Zach on the street. This Zach is a big figure in this uh-huh. story. Uh, but I ran him down the street, and I was, uh, so I had been on tour playing, like, progressive rock music. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but, like, I was, I was like, deep prog. Really? Um, I was playing with a guy named Adrian Ballou from uh-huh. King Crimson. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was my gig. I was playing with Adrian Ballou, and then I was playing in a Zappa band with all the Zappa, ex-Zappa musicians. Yeah, So yeah. I was doing some nerdy drumming. Yeah. Like, very, like, intense, like, uh-huh. your whole life is consumed by Zappa music and right. King Crimson music. Yeah, that's tough stuff. It's really tough. And when you're in that world, it can get kind of, like, claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, like, the you know, I, I just had desires deeper than playing complicated music. I wanted to play... Like song, like mm-hmm. song songs, yeah. you know, and uh, that's no shade to Zappa. He has plenty of songs, but mm-hmm. it's just like no Zappa, is Zappa. Every, everyone gets that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like uh, put it on at the party music, right? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, I'm a head case. Music. A, a lot of people listen to Zappa alone in a room, and I love Zappa. Zappa will always be one of my favorite musicians. Yeah. but it's just I, I had yearnings deeper than that, so I quit all those bands, and then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna quit drumming. I had this in my head that I wasn't cut out to be a drummer, and I sold all of my drums uh. for DJ equipment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So even thinking about it, I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Uh, but I, So I ran into Zach on the street, and he's like, hey, what are Quarter you— Quarter-life crisis. Quarter-life crisis. He's like, <laughs> he's like, hey, what are you up to? And I was like, nothing. I'm doing nothing. You didn't I, say I'm DJ Slick? I was just like, I'm going <laughs> to DJ in New York, and he, like, chuckled. And he was like, oh, well, you know, uh, it's good running into you. And then I, like, said goodbye. And as I walked away, I walked uh, directly into a pole, <laughs> like, as hard as I could. And Zach was just like, oh, like, we had that, like, movie moment where uh-huh. he's like, are you okay? Right. And I was like, yeah, man, fine. <laughs> See you later. Uh, so, but, uh, again, uh, 
this is another weird coincidence. Like, as I was buying the DJ equipment from a Craigslist dude, mm. he was like, uh, yeah, you hear Dr. Dog's, Dog's drummer quit. And I was, like, so out of it. I was just like, oh, cool, or well, whatever. Right. Like, I didn't even think of it. And then the day after Christmas, I got a call from Zach, and he was like, hey, I ran into you. You're not doing anything. Do you want to join the band? And wow. I was like, Just a straight-up invite, huh? Just a straight-up, like, do you want to audition? Oh, okay. But... I've later found out that I got to the studio and they didn't, nobody else was there. You're the only guy. (laughs) (laughs) They were really banking on this thing working. That's great. (laughs) But I think there was an inherent trust because we had built up a friendship Uh over the course of like four years. It just all kind of worked. It all kind of worked. And I mean, it was cute. You know, it's like, uh, they're like, learn five songs. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know your whole catalog. Like in the the back of my mind, I'm like, all right, I'll put some time into it. (laughs) Yeah, let me just practice these songs. Yeah. But in like actuality, it's like, Oh, I know your whole catalog back. So we played, you know, four or five songs. I think we ran through like Alaska. Uh And uh, they were like, okay, this feels good. They're like, can you play anything else? And I was like, let's run all the records down. And they were like, really? And we went from Easy Beat all the way up until Shame Shame. And we we played every record in full. And it was so fun. Yeah. That might that still might be like my favorite rehearsal I've ever been a part of. I bet, man. Oh, it's a it was a dream. And it felt so natural because I already knew the songs. I knew mm-hmm. I knew them as people. I knew they were. I knew that they were sweet, and there wasn't any of that awkwardness when yeah. you're like approaching a gig and you're like, "Am I doing what you want?" Right, or, right. So, uh, yeah, it was amazing. And then, of course, like, yeah, you have that like first thought, best thought practice, and then I had to like go through you know three years of getting to really know everybody, sure, and really know what. The personalities are and how to work with them. And yeah, like the honeymoon period's over. And well, yeah, I remember after the fourth show we played together in uh-huh. Syracuse. Toby took a look at me and he was like, "Yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know if it's gonna work." Oh no! And I was like, "Really?" I was like, "I thought I'm doing okay." And he's like, "Yeah, but <laughs> you know, like you come from an improvisational progressive rock world, like, and we need everything to be like solid." Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, so they really?" I mean, you know, like uh, I I appreciate them for giving me a chance because. Yeah. It was hard. And of course, you know, they had another drummer before uh, I did. And then the big secret is that Scott is a monster drummer. Oh, really? And Scott plays drums on Shadow People. Uh-huh. Uh, he plays all the drums on We All Belong. Really? Yeah. It's uh-huh. all Scott. Um, he's a he's a phenomenal drummer. Wow. In a very, like, janky way. Yeah. You know, he's very, like, um, a lot of character uh-huh. in his drumming. Um, I wouldn't call him like a tech, a, a guy with like a lot of technical prowess, right. but his tone is really good mm-hmm. and his ear for drums is like incredible. Yeah. Um, some of the drums he did on Easy Beat were recorded one drum at a time. Like Really? Yeah, like wow. super cool approach, a uh, very kitchen sink approach to recording. Uh-huh. So I learned a lot from them. Yeah. Um, and I also had to be like respect for uh, the old drummer Justin and Scott's drumming while also trying to add something different to right. the conversation. So when we made Be the Void, the the first record, uh that was my first record with the band. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like listening back to it, I'm like, oh yeah, you could totally hear me like shaking off the prog. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a lot around. of there's some complicated drumming on that record, but yeah. like it, sometimes I'm like I listen back, I'm like, was that unnecessarily complicated? Uh, <laughs> you know? It is a bit of a mental shift, I guess. Well and you know, talk about pavement like those guys, uh, Toby and Scott in particular, grew up obsessive with pavement. Yeah. Obsessive. Uh, 
to the point where if like I start playing Shady Lane right now, they'll be like, okay, let's play all of, yeah, you know, <laughs> or if I, I played Range Life the other night uh, on our bus and uh, then it was like, okay, uh, can we go into all, can we just play all of Wowie Zowie? Yeah. You know, like, uh-huh. can we play, or what, 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 that's not on Wowie Zowie, but you know, yeah. uh, um, those guys, like, that's the world they're coming from. And Pavement had some, there's some shared influences like Can and um, like the more Krautrock stuff. Like, uh-huh. When you start going back with the pavement, it's like, oh, there's like U.S. Maple and all these bands yeah. that, that influenced them. And that then I got really into those bands and recognized that there was common ground. Mm-hmm. And so I could be like, oh, I like pavement. I could take the things I love about pavement and the things I love about progressive rock and like kind of smashing, smash them together yeah. in a way that could be really different. Um, but yeah, Scott and Toby are like huge pavement dudes. Same here, man. And I'm in a, a an old man band. Uh, I got in my first band when I was 38 years old. And it's just old friends from high school and college that we all lived in within two miles of each other. And it's like, wait a minute, you play guitar, I play guitar and sing, you play drums, you play bass. It's like, why don't we just get together? And it's the most fun thing in my life. Yeah. And we do, we do, we only do cover songs. We don't, we don't have time to write. We've all got kids and we're all busy, but, uh, we play like one or two shows a year out when a friend calls and says, Hey, we need somebody to do 30 minutes. And, uh, my buddy was doing a, a, and he's in a Weezer tribute band. And he said, Hey, we're doing a nineties night and we have us. And, uh, I think it was like a Primus thing. He was like, would you guys be up for learning like 12 pavement songs? Ooh. And I went, Oh man. Yes. Yeah. So we did that and we played like our pavement dream set. Two drummers. Uh, no, we didn't have a Nastanovich. Okay. I tried to, and I actually have gotten to know Bob a little bit Whoa. because of the podcast. Yeah. And so that's kind of like, it was one of my like, uh, big okay. moments in life. I was like, wait a minute, you listen to this thing? You got to get Malkmus on here. I emailed him actually, because <laughs> Bob gave me his email and, uh, I'd never heard back. Oh, it's okay. But his new record came out today. Actually, I know. Sparkle Malkmus. hard. Yeah. I know. It sounds great. I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, it sounds great. That's I, after I'm, this. I'm a Malkmus for, I'm a lifer and you know, yeah. I, I just read, uh, his uh, there's a New York Times interview and a uh, Washington the Washington Post interview is really good. Oh, cool! And I can relate to him in yeah. a lot of ways. Like we're kind of you know he's like I feel really awkward. I feel like I don't have a good voice, but like yeah, I crack myself up with my music and like hopefully that's enough. You know, and he's I, one of my favorite guitar players of all time. Yep, there was a moment at the um, I saw them a, quite a few times back in the day, but then I went to the reunion gig uh, at the Tabernacle actually, oh, where nice. you guys are tonight mm-hmm. and. There was a moment uh, after the first, right before the first uh, uh, inter or not intermission, but encore, when everyone walked off stage, Malkmus walked off, off stage, but we were sitting uh, kind of to the side on that, you know, upstairs of the balcony, and he was he never took his guitar off, and he was sitting in the wings on a box noodling. Yeah. And if you were out in the audience and you weren't on the side like we were, you couldn't see that. Uh-huh. You just heard this stuff. He never took his guitar off, and that three minutes was one of my favorite parts of the show because yeah. he was just sitting there in the dark in the wings doing his Malcolmus noodling. Yeah. And it was fucking gorgeous. And that's the thing about him, too, is like uh, he uh, in this Washington Post interview, and I can relate to this because I get like I get performance anxiety as well. Yeah. And he's like, you know, when I, we were on uh, late night in the 90s doing Cut Your Hair, he's like, I closed my eyes for yeah. half of the performance. And he's like, because I didn't feel like... I just, I was like, when is this going to be over? He's right. like, even when Pavement was playing Coachella, he's like, I closed my eyes and I was like, when is this going to be over? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I understand that mm-hmm. because like, you know, you can, when you're at home writing, you can just live in your own world and like, yeah, you can crack yourself up with your music. Mm-hmm. Like, 
play all kinds of hilarious stuff and write. I mean, the, some of the pavement lyrics are so oh, yeah. funny. Rattled by the rush, <laughs> some uh, caught my dad crying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about that line all the time. Yeah. Uh, and then it's the, the way that it's juxtaposed, where it's like, uh, uh, you know, brush your teeth, shirt smell. You know, it's yeah. like, like caught my dad crying. That's such a vulnerable thing to say. And then like the rest of that song is like, we call her Barbara, yeah. <laughs> larva, I know. larva, Barbara rhyme. Like, oh yeah, I'm sure a lot of times he's his tongue is firmly in cheek. Oh, it's and he's so like, well, that rhymes. It rhymes, yeah. Lar- it, and uh, the actually the rattle by the rush story I love the most is that he's like, I can't believe when we went back to relearn it, like. How like how slow that song is because of how high we were. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> he's like that's, that's a good song. He's though. like that song's like seventy beats per minute, yeah. which is like slow. Yeah. <laughs> <It> is <laughs> slow. <laughs> you know, it's slow. Oh but, man, they're like we can't. I just want to listen to that now. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. So we were talking a little bit on the elevator on the way up here about um, the organic growth of Doctor Dog, and I've seen it with my eyeballs as a fan going to see. Uh, from like the I don't know vinyl at the center stage to the masquerade to the Buckhead Theater to Shaky Knees and uh, which uh, obviously that's a festival but I feel like those festivals earn a lot of fans that way is that is that a strategy or is it I mean the the growth has been so organic and natural it seems like because it's not like oh we played this hundred seat venue and then the next year. We were doing 1,800-seat theaters. No, it's not like that. And actually, like, the more I see bands, like, immediately go from playing 100-capacity rooms to playing Mm 1,800-capacity rooms, I'm always wary because I'm like, you're not going to be able to deal with this. Yeah. Uh, The slow growth is so much truer. Uh And, uh, yeah, you're right. It's like, even when I first joined the band around the time that Shame Shame was being finished, Mm -hmm. um, we were only playing... 100 to 300 capacity rooms on that first yeah. tour. And, you know, some were sellouts, some weren't even sellouts. And this was at, like, Dr. Dog was doing well. Yeah. Um, and people were aware of us. But, you know, uh, then the next time we play, like, Iowa City or whatever, it's like, yeah, you play the 150 capacity mm-hmm. room for three years. And then the next time you play the 300. And then the next time you play the 500. And then, like, you play the 500 for what seems like forever and then you're at the 1000 and it's yeah. like and it feels like such a tangible like like we can all breathe a sigh of relief like mm-hmm. we did it you know by working hard like i always got the sense that you the, some bands give up yeah when they don't hit that certain level and doctor dog always seemed maybe it's that philly work ethic yeah seem like you guys are going to go out and fucking earn each show you're going to earn that fan to tell 10 more people and it, and it never goes away. Yeah. And I would so much rather be in a position where it never goes away. Yeah. Instead of the, uh, you know, instant like, boom, we're done. Mm-hmm. And, and I've I've seen it happen with friends bands where they just become so jaded. Uh, now, that's not to say that we're not like, you know, we, we have a sense of like, okay, like sure. play in this room again. But... Um, when we go on to play the show, we we never lose a sense yeah. of the love for the thing. Yeah. And um, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it is our Philly work ethic. Uh-huh. It, it is our relentlessness. And even, um, you know, last night we were starting to have kind of a weird show. And then we, like, have little tricks that help us get out mm-hmm. of it. And then, like, humor can be one of those tricks. So, like, we're in the middle of playing the show. And uh, 
Toby looks at me and he looks like kind of crazy. Like, you know, he's like, we're all, we're both just exhausted because we've been on tour since April. Oh, beginning of April. Well, I've been on tour since January, but I can get on that later. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been touring with two bands. So um, he looks at me and he says, uh, hey, if you think if we leave now, do you think we can beat the traffic? <laughs> and it just killed, it killed me. He has a lot of one-liners like I that. I love Toby. And he's like, my deep secret is like, he's he's my guy. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, he's, everyone he's has the secret weapon. Everyone has their guy. That voice, man. His voice is amazing. But Toby looks at me and just goes, the, it was do- so deadpan. Yeah. And I like lost it. Because I, I knew he rec- he saw in me that I was tired. Uh-huh. And I saw in him that he was tired. And we were just, you know, we're playing Fate or, uh, you know, it's called The Beach on the record, but we call it Fate. Uh-huh. And we're playing through this song and we're all, we're, we're all just like hanging by a thread. Yeah. Tour's over in two days. We're all ready to go home and see our significant others and our friends. So it's just like, just that little moment of like, I know... Like I'm aware of what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Let's let's laugh about it. Yeah. And then the rest of the show was so funny. Yeah. And then we walked off stage like all like you know arm in arm. And that's how that's how we get over those things. Um, it's so yeah, be a good feeling, you know, because you you worked through something together. It yeah it, it is and um, uh yeah I would tell any young musician that like if you're on a slow route, just like don't give up even Mm -hmm. you know even if you like aren't making a living yet doing it like it's so much better than someone who's like i'm famous immediately right you know i've heard stories of people who are like instagram celebrities who are like 16 years old like with like a million followers doing like cartwheels when they find out that they've had a million followers and i'm like such a thing now to uh the expectation of not having to wait for stuff oh period it's crazy whether it's success or the download of a film, you and, know. And and there's merit to uh, certain things, the, you know, c- certain things becoming more efficient and uh, oh, sure. communication getting more efficient. But when I see somebody, like, celebrating over getting a million Instagram followers, I'm just like, oh, man, it's all downhill from yeah. here, you know? Like, if, that, if that's <laughs> if your that's high... the pinnacle. If that's the high... If you're considering that the high watermark of your success, then, like, the rest of your life is going to be pretty disappointing. Yeah. Because there's so much about life to celebrate. Um, and I often tell people like Dr. Dog, we like try to be like a life celebration band, you know, like that's what the show's like. That's what the shows are like. And that's what we're trying to convey. Like yep. we're and, and, and humbly, it's not like we think that we are <laughs> you know, like, well, yeah, we're here to help you celebrate life. It's more just like, no, I mean, like our lyrics are about uh, view, viewing negativity at, at, in a positive mm-hmm. light and, tr- and trying as hard as you can to be like, yeah, life is suffering. But like. Yeah, we'll we'll make it through. It's always, um, I mean, you get something out of every band that you see live, but Dr. Dog shows are always fun. Awesome. Like, it's just, and I saw it at Shaky Knees, you know, when you play a big festival with a lot of people who don't know who you are. I was walking around and literally hearing people like, who the fuck are these guys? (laughs) Like, this is great. Who are these guys? Who are these guys? Yeah, it still happens. Although the the, uh, polar opposite of that is we played Jay-Z's festival in L.A., the Made in America Festival. We were one of, one of two rock bands on the bill. We had a noon slot. Who was the other rock band? Weezer. Oh. Who, who I, uh, yeah, I mean, we can have the Weezer conversation. Uh, but, like, you know, Blue Album and Pinkerton are masterpieces, uh-huh. and the rest I can, you know, sure. I, I'll take or leave. Uh, but we... Uh, Weezer was the other rock band, but they have a following, and they also have, like, a rock radio, like, yeah. people are aware of Weezer. Yeah. But we go on stage at noon, 
and like the curtain drops and the crowd is just like bewildered. They're uh-huh. like, what? Like they had no idea what to do. Yeah. They, I just remember like staring at people and they're like, they're like looking at the guitars like, <laughs> what's a guitar? Yeah. What's like, that guy? Are they in the wrong place? Well, and, and you know, it's not because, I mean, it's just the festival is so EDM heavy. Yeah. So the changeover between sets is 15 minutes, which mm-hmm. if any musicians are listening, like is a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, you need at least like a half an hour if you have a lot of gear mm-hmm. and we have a lot of gear. Yeah. Uh, so. Sort of we, we, we had a 15 minute changeover and it was televised like worldwide broadcast. Uh-huh. And, and we're like, we didn't even have our monitors on. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we're like, oh, okay. And then you have, and our, our set was a half hour. So yeah. we played like six songs. Yeah. And then we were done. Like, I just remember like, it sounded as if, you know, there's like that Zen trope of like the one hand uh-huh. clapping. Uh-huh. It sounded like <laughs> one hand was clapping. I thought this was going to end in a victorious, uh, and we want them all over. No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, so much of playing live is falling flat, flat on your face. Yeah. Uh, and it's knowing that tomorrow will be, might be better, uh-huh. you know? Um, but it's, it's true. Uh, we go out there and we try. Yeah. And I would hate it if I went up and played a set passively. I, and I think the rest of the band feels that way. You, get, you always get a sense that you guys are working your asses off up there to, like, deliver a fun experience. And we tried to make it easier, and it, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Yeah. Even with our new record, um, we tried to pare things down and even simplify further, and it's still, like, it's not a walk in the park. <laughs> I love the new record. Thank it's, you. Um, it's so chill. And, so chill. Um, it's like, because I, mean, I kind of know Dr. Dog is sort of the rollicking bar band thing. And there are a couple of tunes on there like that for sure. But I really like the vibe of this one. Thank you. Yeah, it was a conscious choice. Yeah. Uh, trying to be a little bit more ethereal with the last two records. Uh-huh. Um, because uh, we've done the rock record a lot. Last two meaning, because you guys have put out a couple of interesting things lately. Yeah, talk about that. I mean, it's like... We've got, uh, so we recorded Abandoned Mansions first. Okay. Uh, so that was 2014. And then that project got shelved for a while, got shelved until the end of 2016. Okay. Uh, because an opportunity came along. We got a grant to finally put on a stage show for a record called The Psychedelic Swamp. Right. Psychedel- Which is like the first thing ever, right? It's the first thing that uh, Scott and Toby recorded as Dr. Dog. Mm-hmm. Um, they had another band called Raccoon that was like more popular around Philadelphia. But uh, Dr. Dog was like their home recording project. Mm-hmm. And they made this crazy, like, uh, it, it, actually a Zappa reference. It's almost like the Zappa record, Uncle Meat. Like, it's really uh, yeah. collage And uh, they they made this weird tape record. Like, there's like 25 copies of it out there. Mm-hmm. It's, some of it's on YouTube, like a dilapidated tape. Uh and then uh, we got this opportunity to do a stage show with the Pig Iron Theater Company in Philly. And the swamp was just the right thing. It had, it had a full concept. It almost had like a, a full libretto. Uh-huh. Um, so we got money to do that. And then we did a stage show in Philly for four nights wow. with, with a full theater troupe. And uh-huh. it was one of the most creatively satisfying things like I've ever been a part of. Wow. It was that's great. But we had this great record. I, I, I love Abandoned Mansions. And I was like, man, when's Abandoned Mansions ever going to come out? Yeah. So swamp took the precedence. We made a companion record to the theater show. Uh-huh. And so when we released it, our fans were like, what is this? Right. Like, you re- wait, you re-recorded an album? So I think it was confusing for people. Uh-huh. 
and then we toured it, but we didn't really like play any of the songs from it. Yeah. And then at the end of 2016, we lost a member that year. Uh, he quit, and it was it's all good. But yeah. He it was just like he was a really important member in yeah. the band, and uh, then uh, Donald Trump got elected. Right. And we were like, uh, like we had plans to release Amanda Mansions, and then we were like, well it doesn't feel right to do anything now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel right to live. Like I, we, we were just like, can we all go on? Yeah. You know, like some of the band members have kids and they're just like, mm-hmm. what's our future looking like? So, uh, we decided to put out mansions and it was already set in stone, but then we made the decision to make it, um, we donated all the money to the Southern poverty law center. I saw a sort that. of, a sort of a, that's great. Okay, we can't take money from people right now. Right. Uh, there's so much suffering happening. Let's donate it to a cause that could hopefully help people. Man, that's um, awesome. And then we took a year off from touring, which we haven't done since I joined the band. Yeah. Um, so that's where that's kind of where we got to critical equation. Uh-huh. Um, and then taking that year off, it's uh, you sort of realize like okay, maybe the band could be functioning a lot better mm-hmm. um, and the band could be communicating a lot better. So the whole emphasis behind this record was to uh, find a way to get better at being a band. Uh, I hesitate to say in a some kind of monster Metallica documentary way because <laughs> uh, we, we didn't hire a therapist, but we've been acting as our own therapists Interesting. For, this, for this record. But yeah. you made a concerted effort. It was a concerted effort to do something uh, more more in the ethereal zone. Yeah. Because uh, Abandoned Mansions had started to touch on that, and then The Swamp had uh-huh. had some elements of that, but it was still very much like a, a really like abstract and brash record. Yeah, I listened to that this morning, actually. It's weird. Yeah. It's a weird record. Every song has the lyric swamp in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I noticed that. Yeah, go back and listen to it. It's uh-huh. weird. Um, but it's also trying to tell this story, like, if we had done the swamp again, if if I could George Lucas the situation, yeah, I would, uh, I would have like included a full like forty page libretto with that record explaining why we did it, right? Um, but instead, it's like you get the vinyl and then you're like, what is the song about? A who is phrases and what is the swamp? And yeah, like there's all these characters that are mentioned in the lyric, but there's nothing in the book, the booklet that uh-huh. would describe that. So to anyone who's listening, who's a Dr. Dog fan, uh, I'm sorry. And uh, <laughs> if you ever want to know the story, um, just ask me. And okay. I'll try to tell you, but uh, you might have to be real high to understand it. Right. Well, that might not be a problem. <laughs> it might not be a problem. <laughs> well, I love the new record. It's really great. It's uh, It's got such a cool, chill vibe. And it, it feels like a record made with a bunch of guys in a room. Uh, That's it. That's what we're trying yeah. to go for. We d- And we did. We were in a very small room uh, with a guy named Gus Seifert. Okay, I was going to ask, I, I saw that video that your folks sent, uh, that kind of just short making of. I wondered who that guy was. Gus Seifert. He, uh, my, I first became aware of him. I went to go see Beck, and there was like a dude playing. I just saw him like two weeks ago. Oh, man. At the Tabernacle. Oh, man, Beck. Yeah. Uh, he's, I see Beck every time I can. Did he's Torres open? Do you know? The what? Torres, did she open? We didn't uh, go for the opener. Uh-huh. It's okay. Yeah. Busy. Busy people. Yeah. Um, Beck is phenomenal. Uh, I saw him a couple years ago at the Ryman, and I, I, it's like you could focus on any member of the band and be like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god!" Yeah, Smokey Hormel, the guitar player. Oh, well, god. they're all so nimble. Like, like, okay, are we going to be the bluegrass band, the James Brown band, 
or the P-Funk. P-Funk. Yeah. Exactly. And like weird P-Funk. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So like, you know, I'm, what you could focus on just the metal Johnson, the bass player, Joey Warrenker, the drummer. Yeah. Um, oh, is that Joey? I didn't know that. Joey, well, not on the, not the gig you saw. It was a dude named Chris Coleman. Okay. But Joey Warrenker is Beck's dude whenever he can. Because uh, he's, he's been around forever. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. So, uh, and then Gus was playing auxiliary and he was like playing cello at one mm-hmm. point. I mean, he's just like an all around, he can do everything guy. And so that's how I became aware of him. I didn't know that he was like a production guy. Right. Um, and then I became even more aware of him. My my girlfriend, Natalie Prass, mm-hmm. uh, recorded some tracks with him in L.A. Um, and she used Beck's band as the backup band for some of the tracks. And I just kept hearing about him, yeah. you know. Um, and then he got the gig with Roger Waters. So now he plays. Oh, really? So now he plays bass with Roger Waters and Joey Warnker is the drummer. And uh, yeah. Is Roger Waters not playing bass? Roger Waters likes to, like, he does on some songs, but he also likes to play acoustic guitar. Right. And he's, then there's also parts where he's got, like, a headset microphone. And he's acting out the wall. Yeah. So <laughs> he's doing the Roger Waters he's thing. He's doing the Roger Waters <laughs> thing. He's, like, in a wall. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so uh, it was cool because we started working with Gus, like, in the in a break of Roger Waters touring. So, mm-hmm. like, I feel like this record's kind of floydy. I, yeah, man. There's some like real it's, Floyd. I hate to say trippy because that's such no, a... No, it's trippy. It is trippy though. It's okay to say it's trippy. All right, because it's, it's one of those like uh, I do my... Uh, I have my regular listening at home on the Sonos, of course, but yeah. anytime one of my bands comes out with a new record, since I was in high school, I do a, a serious headphone listen uh-huh. by myself in a room, hopefully dark, yep. with the headphones on, and that's really where you get the full experience with the shit. Yeah. And I did that with this one, and nice. I was like, man, there is a lot a lot of trippy shit going on in this one. It's a trippy record, and uh, we, you know, we recorded it in this, like, his, uh, it's like a converted home studio that has, like, you know that there's a Portlandia joke uh-huh. or, uh, about, like, this is the microphone from Pet Sounds. Right. <laughs> so the first day of recording, like, there's a, a Celeste, or, or, or Celeste, it's, a, like, a very specific instrument um, that's, like, it's almost like a, it's, uh, like, a unplugged Fender Rhodes or okay. something. Yeah. Or it has, like, a kind of, like, bell-like tone. And uh-huh. I go to play it, and Gus is like, oh, that's the Celeste from Pet Sounds. And I'm like, haha, Portlandia. Right. He's like, no, that's wow. that's it. That's the one. I was like, <laughs> did you take your hands off of it? I was just like, <laughs> and, then, and then I look at it. And I'm like, oh yeah, this totally has to be. I mean, it's just like, yeah, beat to crap. He's like, yeah. He's like, Roger Waters money. <laughs> that's great. He like went with his Roger Waters money. He like went and bought the Celeste from Pet Sounds. Oh that's my great. god, I could never even imagine being in that position. I've always gotten a bit of a Beach Boysy vibe uh, from Doctor Dog too. Oh, it's Beach Boys worship. Yeah, and um, yeah, totally. Every time I see, you know, you described as a psychedelic rock band, I go, they're not a psychedelic rock band. But then when I was listening to the headphones of the other night, I was like, oh, they are kind of a psychedelic rock band. Yeah, because I, I think of something different when I hear that. No, it, you, that's astute. I, I like we, you know, everyone tries to define Doctor Dog by some something. Yeah, we just say we're a rock and roll band. Yeah, like I think of Black Mountain when I think of a psychedelic rock band. I think of something much heavier. Yeah, Sleep. Yeah, Sleep is a, is a psychedelic band. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, but we. But you're Doctor Dog. That's how I describe you. It's like yeah. you know, we're, you always reminded me of the Beach Boys meets the band. Uh-huh. Uh huh. With some little Beatles thrown in, we get we get the three Bs a lot. Beach Boys band Beatles. Oh really? Oh yeah, and <laughs> and and rightfully so. I mean, like those are all bands that we've grown to love. And, yeah. And and uh, last night we were 
playing through like we I mean we were playing through Beatles songs last night uh we had like a big campfire type vibe after the show uh-huh. in uh, Birmingham and we were playing through like but we were also playing like Wilburys I mean yeah. <laughs> like uh-huh. we were playing a lot of stuff last night uh we were playing some uh all things must pass like yeah um but you know we get those three B's a lot and Beach Boys are obviously a, a point of fascination for all of us but Steely Dan yeah, I would. I would actually say if you listen to Toby's songs, mm-hmm. really try and catch the Steely Dan influence. I'm not joking. Yeah. Like, I love uh, Steely Dan. So we have, and I, and I'm a, I'm a Steely Dan like obsessive. Uh-huh. So I really feel like we're at a point now where we're we're in a, a little bit of a Dan zone. Like, especially working with Gus. Mm-hmm. Um, Gus is so hot. He's like constantly talking about hi-fi gear and like, you know, like this board was used for this classic recording. Right. Like. We're we're starting to enter this like our Steely Dan phase. Yeah. And I'm like so psyched. That's about great. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so psyched. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Oh, man. Well, I could do this all day. Yes, we could. But we need to talk about The Big Lebowski. We do. Um, I can't wait. I appreciate you indulging me. It's no. funny. Uh, my my lead guitarist, uh, Eddie, is coming tonight, and we're both very excited. Yes. And I, I, out of the corner of my eye, I saw him texting me right now. Are you talking to him? So. Oh, yeah. He's t- you're talking to me. <laughs> and we're about to get into my favorite. Uh, you know, I, I would love to say, like, eight and a half or, like, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey is my favorite movie. That's but not what this show is. <laughs> let's, let's put all of our pretensions aside yeah. 
and talk about The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah, the it, movies that have been picked for this have been like Die Hard, Tron, Tron, Big yeah. Lebowski, Billy Madison, Avengers. Billy, no, I done Billy Madison. Yet, Billy but. Madison is the only other one I could talk about with the same kind of fervor. Really? But, All right. Well, just because I've seen it so Next many year times. when you guys come back around. I'll yeah, be back yeah. In. So I watched this again last night. Uh, I'm a Coen Brothers um, fanatic. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other film I've covered so far on this has been Miller's Crossing. Yep. Uh, with a with a comedian named Ben Acker, a good friend of mine, and um, surprised I haven't done Fargo yet. Someone will pick that at some point. But the Big Lebowski, uh, I think, followed up Fargo, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, they make this Oscar winning um, crime caper, followed up by this crime caper. Yeah. Like they do crime capers yes. better than anyone. Yes, they do. And kind of convoluted crime capers. Yes. But uh, Lebowski had such a different tone. And they establish it right off the bat with the the drifting tumbling tumbleweed song Tumble. and the literal tumbleweed tumbling toward Los Angeles. And then you get Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Los Angeles. Los Angeles. <laughs> you get Sam's beautiful, rich baritone yeah. doing this. Sometimes there's a man. Oh, yeah. man. It yeah. just sets that tone right off the bat. Oh, and, uh, you know, you've got the tumbleweed, but then you're at Ralph's. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a jarring juxtaposition. Yeah, you're, and then you're at Ralph's and the you're watching, buzz of the fluorescent lighting of Ralph's. And like, why is this guy in the dairy section in his house? Why, coat. In a, yeah, <laughs> and like, why is he in the dairy section and why is he writing a check for sixty some cents or whatever? Yeah, yeah, sixty nine cents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and he's like, try, obviously trying to flirt with the cashier, uh-huh. and she's not having it, and. Um, the opening scene, you know, it's funny. Uh, I remember when The Big Lebowski came out in 1998, yeah. and I remember reading a review of it in the Philadelphia Inquirer mm-hmm. that was sort of like, why did the Coen brothers make this film? It's enjoyable, but why did they make this film? <laughs> what is this film? Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I, I I think about Weird Al Yankovic, actually, because mm-hmm. He's like it's. He's like for me, it's every other record that seems to be the one that touches people. He's like he's like I'll have a huge record that does really well, and then the next one will be one that's very personal to uh-huh. me, and the and the public might not understand it. Right. So he had like Running with Scissors, which was like a huge record for him, uh-huh. and then it's like Poodle Hat, uh-huh. and you're like, what's Poodle Hat? You know, it's like a really weird record. Yeah. Um, He's like, but he loves that record. And that's kind of the way I view Lebowski, because Lebowski's in between Fargo and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Two massively yeah. successful Coen Brothers films. Uh-huh. And then you have this, like, what, what is this weird child that they've created? Like, yeah. it's, uh, okay, so the first time I watched The Big Lebowski, I was on a, my first tour. Oh, cool. I was 17 years old. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I was on a tour with a bunch of other 17-year-olds playing, yeah. playing rock and roll music uh, for this thing called The School of Rock. It wasn't it had nothing to do with the movie School of Rock. Yeah. It was a program in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And we were, like, doing a summer tour playing, like, classic rock songs. Right. Um, and somebody was like, we should watch The Big Lebowski. And I remember watching it and being like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Mm. I don't understand what this movie's about. And then 2013 came along. And I was uh, on a Dr. Dog tour, and uh, I was going through kind of a hard time. Mm-hmm. Like, I was uh, I was moving away from Philadelphia, and uh, I was in, kind of in a relationship, but it wasn't really going that well. And I needed something to put my mind off of things. Mm-hmm. And we had a copy of The Big Lebowski on DVD on the tour bus, and I just put it in one day. Yeah. And I watched it every day for six weeks. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, it was, it, it has become such an important movie to me as, like, mm-hmm. It, it you know there's like a Zen books written about Lebowski yeah 
there's even a book that that's like co-authored by Jeff Bridges, like the the dude and the dude and the Zen Master is what yeah. it's called, which I've read. It's a fantastic book. Um, and the movie became part of my Zen training. I also practice meditation twice a day. Uh-huh. So like watching this movie and meditating, like it all became the same thing. And right. I got so immersed in the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Like to the point where by the end of week six, like I'm watching the movie and saying lines along with it. And right. just like, I know the script now. Yeah. So, okay. I drifted for a second, but back to the movie. No, no, no. That's, th- that is, that is the drift. Yeah. You know, of the Big Lebowski. It yeah. will do that. It is more than a movie. I mean, clearly they're in their, I believe this is going to be the 17th year of Lebowski Fest. Uh, have you ever been, by the way? Dr. Dog has played Lebowski Fest. What? Dr. Dog played the Louisville Lebowski no Fest. No shit. And we had to learn, uh, we had to learn, uh, just dropped in to see what, my, you know, the, uh, yeah, Kenny Rogers. Kenny and, Rogers, we learned, uh, the Captain Beefheart song from the movie where oh, he's, wow. where he's lying on the floor and, uh, Smokey calls him and he leaves uh-huh. him the voicemail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the song that's playing there, we learned that song. And, and Smokey is, uh, what's his name? Jimmy Dale Gilmore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one of my, one of the, I mean, see, that's the thing. I could say, like, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie yeah. when, when uh, he says Market Zero uh-huh. uh, or, you know, Market Eight, Market Zero, Market Eight, and then you're ending, with Smokey, you're ending, entering a world of pain. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Such an intense scene. My there, wife last night was like, oh, my God. But there's something, it's so intense, but yeah. there's something about Smokey's, uh, it, it, it wasn't over. Yeah. It wasn't over. You know, like he's so his character is so believable. Yeah. Uh in a in a situation where so many characters are unbelievable, uh-huh. like uh Totoro as uh, the Jesus, yeah. like you're like does that guy exist? <laughs> or uh I mean Walter definitely exists. <laughs> yeah, which is he's based on the the filmmaker John Milius. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and actually the dude is based on a guy named Jeff Dowd. So That's right, they yeah. were both based on two dudes in reality and John Milius is a there's a great documentary about him, actually, but he's the guy who wrote. Uh, did he write Apocalypse Now? Oh, or he had something to do wow. with it. He he wrote and directed Red Dawn. He was uh, very right wing, but very. I mean, he was Walter Subcheck. Wow. You know, he would he was famous for going into offices and like pulling a gun on a studio exec. Yeah. And he would wear those aviator like shooter glasses and well, a touch of Phil Spector in there. Yeah. Yeah, just a a guy who's paranoid, but like. Has does have a big heart, but doesn't quite know how to express himself, and it yeah. comes out in rage. Um, Such an interesting character. But something I say to every fellow Lebowskiite is mm-hmm. like, there's a little bit of every character in you too. Like when I watch the movie, I'm like, yeah, there's times where I'm irrational, like mm-hmm. Walter. There's times where I'm like totally passive and like Donnie. Yeah, and like I'm just like, like positive but it's you're like why is he so positive yeah uh, and then sometimes you're like the dude where you're like passive aggressive uh-huh. <laughs> where you're like this aggression will not stand yeah. man you're like <laughs> you're like you know you just like don't you don't quite um know how to express yourself or yeah. something i don't know actually i don't know if i could ever relate to the night i might the really, nihilist I, know, I could be a little nihilist <laughs> sometimes but and, I, I Johnson. And, 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 yeah, and lingonberry pancakes do sound good right now. Uh, uh, one thing I noticed last night that I'd never noticed before, and I've seen this movie quite a few times too, um, is that dude, the dude, has so many funny one-liners. He's, as a person, if you just forget about you're watching a movie, let's say you know this guy, he's fucking hysterical, but no one ever laughs at him. No. He throws out all these funny one-liners, like genuinely like clever wit 
and no one ever laughs at these jokes in the movie. Yeah. And I noticed that last, last night. I was like, that's kind of funny, man. These are great lines. Oh, you mean the, the line where... Clearly, you're not a golfer. Like, of course, they're not going to laugh because of the situation, yeah. but uh, those are great lines. Well, at least I'm house trained. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, of course, you know, you can also... Uh, the, the something I've noticed, like, the second time I watched the movies, he never calls anybody else dude. He always says man. Yeah, he's I think like, he said "man" like two hundred times. He in says the movie, he says it? "man," but he's the dude, so no one else is ever dude. Yeah, he always, he says "man." Yeah, so that was something I noticed <laughs> early on. Uh, but he does have a lot of funny one-liners. There's that great line when they're uh, you know the uh, the classical music is playing and Lebowski's at the fireplace, and uh-huh. he's like, "What makes a man?" Yeah, and he says, uh, "You know that in a pair of testicles." <laughs> yeah, and he, exactly, and he, and, he, and he just goes, "Perhaps you're right." <laughs> He's great. Uh, what's his name? Shout out to David Huddleston. As, David Huddleston. Well, he is the Big Lebowski. He's the Big Lebowski. Which is funny. I think a lot of people uh, think that's the dude, but no, he's he's the deadbeat Lebowski. Or 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 is the dude the Big Lebowski? Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Let's get philosophical. <laughs> or is it him? Uh, yeah, I think that I think at times uh, the Big Lebowski. Uh, you know, the real Jeffrey Lebowski or the famous Jeffrey Lebowski yeah. is the big Lebowski. And then there's other time when the other times when the dude really tries to yeah. transcend himself and he's trying. He's trying to be a big he's trying to be a big person. Well, he always the other thing I noticed, too, is he's always on the path to doing the right thing. And he has figured it out. Walter's the one that fucks everything up constantly. <laughs> you fucked it up. But but <laughs> but Jeff. But the dude is is kind of way ahead. He's he's one step ahead of everybody, despite his stoner slackness. He's kind of right the whole time. Yeah, especially when he cracks the whole case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knows what's going on. He does know what's going on, but he's just Walter's the idiot. Yeah, Walter is an idiot, and uh, you know, o- o- only hammered in by every. Thing that he tries to, you know, the the briefcase full of his undies, just the lights, you <laughs> the know, ringer. it's like yeah, the ringer, whole, the whole ringer angle. And then, so of course, like, uh, you know, this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass and he's. Yeah, with the, the kid. With the kid. They're chasing that kid down. Uh, and then there's the guy in the. Uh, uh, the, the, the iron lung, the basically. Iron, <laughs> the iron lung. Oh, my God. I mean, that whole that, that whole side story is so fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, like. That mo- and the movie is about an hour. It's almost two hours long. Yeah. So sometimes when I get into the third act of the movie, uh, especially when he's getting chased by the scissors, the uh-huh. nihilist with the scissors. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I feel like uh, I'm lost in the lost in the dream a little uh-huh. bit. Um, it's kind of how I feel when I watch Inherent Vice. Like I've watched Inherent Vice a couple times now, and mm-hmm. I can't necessarily tell you anything about it because it's so druggy. Yeah. And I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson was trying to make you feel that. And I uh-huh. feel like the Coen brothers are like, you're you're getting in the dude's headspace. Yeah, and they had never done uh, these weird fantasy sequences and stuff like they did with uh, Gutter Balls. Is yeah. that what it was called? Yeah. The, the dream sequence after yeah. he gets drugged by Jackie Treehorn. Jackie Treehorn. <laughs> and the great Kenny Rogers song, of course. Of course. But yeah. I didn't realize this. I looked at the trivia. that uh, In that sequence is the, when he's helping Maude bowl uh-huh. that's the only time you see the dude bowl actually oh yeah he's always sitting around yeah you never actually see him throw a ball <laughs> down the lane which i never noticed oh, until wow. i read that this morning it's like holy shit it's a movie sort of about bowling yeah there's tons of stuff like that in the movie that like 
Uh, I mean, there, there's more obvious things the more you watch it, like uh, the whole Chinaman, like... Yeah. They, there's the first Chinaman, and then... Uh, and and like, Walter says you shouldn't say that, yeah, but the, then he says it. They're not the preferred nomenclature, yeah. but then Lebowski says, a Chinaman took my legs in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, did, why did, like, that must have been some inside joke that yeah. went too far. Also... In that same sequence, um, when Philip Seymour Hoffman is showing him around uh, the place, and he, such a great scene. He goes, "Yes, yes." Yeah, and then, uh, <laughs> uh, but then Lebowski says, "Yes, yes." Uh-huh. In the next scene, so like they like mirror each other, and I don't. Yeah. Know, I wonder if like the Coen Brothers were like cracking up over like when people go, "Yes, yes." I bet. I mean, they're they're very famous for. Uh, their movies being very heavily scripted and like you don't improv. Yeah. They wrote every yeah, sure, in Fargo. Like it was all on the page. Same with Lebowski. There's no impro- yeah. there's no improvisation. They they said the biggest or the closest they got to improvisation was allowing John Turturro to just be that character, right? Because that character yep. was his character. Uh-huh. Like it, like he, I think he like owns the copyright for he's, that. He's making a movie as Jesus. I, that's I heard that. Yeah, because um, it's his it's his thing. And, uh-huh. It feels like a non sequitur in the grand scheme of the movie, but like, I'm so glad that they included it and that ridiculous, yeah. especially because you don't realize that the song that's about to play is Hotel California. Oh man, <laughs> so great! <laughs> and it, I feel like it gets me every time too. It's like that beautiful like classical guitar comes yeah, in, or yeah, yeah. comes in, and you're like, ah, like this is the perfect setup for the scene. And they're like, oh yeah, it's Hotel California, yeah, which also ties into the uh, the fucking Eagles. Oh man. yeah. Well, yep. another great part is the fucking cab driver is so aggressive and angry yeah. that he wouldn't like he yeah. couldn't play the you know Eagles. What, <laughs> he like rips his ass out of the cab. It's so funny. Do you know the Do you know that piece of trivia? No, the Eagles, the fucking Eagles part. So uh, the Coen Brothers approached the Rolling Stones about using dead flowers in the movie. Yeah, dead flowers is in the closing credits. Uh-huh. They approached the Rolling Stones manager, who is like the biggest hard ass of all time. Uh-huh. And he's like, give me half a million dollars and I'll let you use dead flowers in the movie. And they're like, oh, well, let's just like invite him over and we'll show him a rough cut of the film. Right. They show him a rough cut of, cut of the film. <laughs> the Eagles line happens. Right. And he <laughs> bursts, la- bursts out loud laughing. And at the end of the screening, he goes up to me. He's like, you can take the song for free. Wow. And he's like, uh, but he's like, but you have to use a cover. He's like, yeah, but, yeah. he's like that Eagles line. He's like, that's the truest thing in the movie yeah. like he was just like that was amazing I think I saw where it was either uh, I think it was uh, Glenn Fry was a little salty about that they, they, the Eagles are a little salty I mean in the song they, Hotel California litigious <laughs> for some Steely Dan nerdery trivia uh, in Hotel California there's a lyric they can stab us with their Steely knives but they just can't kill yeah. the beast it's a reference to a pr- the Steely Dan record that came out a year before there's a there's a derogatory line about the Eagles oh really so they're yeah, they're they're a little defensive. Well, yeah, Don Henley's sort of a well-known <laughs> dick. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, let's but, get into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't know where I heard it. it was Jeff Bridges interviewed, and he knew Glenn Fry, and he said that he always kind of gave him a hard time, and you could tell it sort of bugged him a little bit. Like he didn't want to appear as though he was taking it too seriously, but he was like, yeah, he kind of he kind of didn't love that. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I, I look. I have a problem with humorless people. So yeah. I, I, if you can't have a sense, if if that line was like, fucking Dr. Dog, I would, I would right. be like honored. Yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. For sure. Uh, and of course, making Jesus a, a pedophile was such a weird Coen Brothers thing to do. You pederast. Yeah, pederast. There's no reason to whatsoever. But you get that funny as hell shot of him 
knocking oh. on the door, and that big dude just comes, and it's such a Coen Brothers cut to like not show what happens. Oh yeah, just show that uncomfortable he's, moment. Like he's, he's wearing those horrible guy. short, like those Daisy yeah. Dukes, like. <laughs> Oh my God, that scene is so real. Apparently, he stuffed his uh, his crotch with a, a bag of bird seed for that uh, <laughs> for that shot. Oh, that's such a good thing to learn. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, good. I can't wait to tell everyone that. That's amazing. Uh, Julianne Moore and David Thewlis, uh, one of the funniest scenes in her entrance, that crazy entrance when she goes flying through the air flying through the air uh, with that banshee scream painting yeah uh, it's just so log, funny log jamming yeah oh the, god they put on log jamming yeah and then of course the uh, problem with dinocobbles yeah <laughs> dinocobbles <laughs> so funny uh, and then there's like that Kraftwerk reference uh, the, the, band's yeah. called, the band's called Autobahn Autobahn uh, well that's another funny line though uh, speaking of his clever one liners when she says, you know, you can imagine what happened after that. And he goes, he fixes her cable. He fixes her cable. <laughs> and like, no one laughs. I'm like, man, that's hysterical. Why is he no fixes one laughing? her cable? Yeah. <laughs> he's, a good, he's a good man. Yeah. And thorough. Was, um, oh. And then there's that whole ridiculous uh, conversation happening, uh, the phone conversation where he's just like, yeah. You're speaking in a different language in front of me. You know, like, yeah, yeah. He's always left out in some way. Yeah. Uh, and he's always being forced to just be like, it's it's almost like an old Buñuel film where you're uh-huh. like, um, yeah, the song, uh, the band song, The Wait, is a, is actually based on a Buñuel film. And the common trope in Buñuel films was like, you're const- like you're just trying to do your best. Yeah. And people just keep putting weights on your back, you yeah. know? And uh, I think about the dude in that way a lot where it's just like, man, this guy just can't get a break. But like, it's a, it's a testament to his... Dudeness, his, his yeah. Dude, you're being very undue. Yeah, right now. you kind of wonder what his. I mean, this is a week in the guy's life, and you kind of wonder what the rest of his life is usually like because you get the picture that nothing ever happens to him. Yeah, and he's all caught up in this thing, mm-hmm. and his poor car is just getting abused through the whole movie. That piece yeah. of shit car. Yeah, we got a we go. What's the line? We got a team of people working night and day. <laughs> <laughs> They're working in shifts. Yeah. Uh, so you got any leads? You got any leads? <laughs> leads? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there, there's that aspect to it, and there's also the there is the part of it. There's like he is a deadbeat. I mean, he's not paying rent on time. He's right. writing a check for for uh, his oh, that white poor landlord. He's you know he's he's writing these checks for under a dollar so he can make white Russians. You yeah, know? it's like his life doesn't seem that remarkable, and he also sure. he's also laziest, which would put him in the running for laziest worldwide. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> well, and he's a very. Um, you, you you haven't lived in L.A., have you? I've never, have you? I will. I don't think I could ever live in L.A. But do you feel like you know L.A.? Oh, I know. Well, we were just recorded our new record there. So, yeah. yes, I do. It's, yeah. uh, I lived there for like five years, and I lived, like I said, down the street from Lebowski Lanes in a little apartment kind of like that. And there, that character is a very L.A. kind of guy. Oh, yeah. Like these dudes that uh, just burn out in the 60s and stayed there paying 500 bucks a month in rent. Yeah, uh, wearing his house coat to Ralph's, like I saw those people. Oh, I bet you did, especially if you were li- you were living there in the late nineties, early 2000s. yeah, late nineties, early 2000s. Yeah, so now I mean, now LA is like yeah, it's a little shinier. You know, the, uh, yeah, yeah. I, for the listeners, I'm like pretending to Botox <laughs> my face right now. Um, there's so there's that aspect of LA. Then there's also like the the uh, the health nut aspect sure. of LA. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that old bohemian like 
Yeah, man, I moved out here. I actually moved out to Frisco for the dead. And then yeah. that, when that scene <laughs> exactly. kind of dried up, I moved down to L.A. And Absolutely, man. They're, those dudes are out there. Yeah, they're fried. Yeah. I, I, call, I call it sunburnt brain. Yeah. The L.A., like the old L.A. dude brain. Yep. It's like you're just, you're, your mind is soaked by sunlight. Yeah, and too much melatonin. Too like, much melatonin. It's good for a bit, but. You're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm an East Coaster. Yeah. So when I'm in L.A., I'm like. You know, I always say the difference between East Coast and, and West Coast people is like in on the East Coast, if I ever said like, hey, I, I really think I should go to therapy, everyone would be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Why are you going to therapy? And then right. in LA, I'm like, I'm going to therapy. I'm like, that's just so great. Yeah. You just do that. Right. You just be, you just do that. <laughs> like your dog goes to therapy in LA. Your dog gets, <laughs> your cat gets massages in LA. <laughs> Such a weird place. Yeah. And so not real. Yeah. And it is weird out there now. Like Hollywood is is. It's not like I want everything to remain a piece of shit. Like, I'm all for cleaning things up, but uh, it's weird being in Hollywood now. Well, there is, a, there is like a Mad Max vibe happening in L.A. now that's a little, like a tent city. Mm -hmm. There's like a sub-city to L.A. that's like just people on the streets. Yeah. It's very, it's weird. It is weird. It's very like post-apocalyptic, and it, and it just goes to show you like, the infrastructure there, like the money's not going to the right places. Yeah. You know, it's like the, you have like this immaculate church of Scientology and then you have like these 10 people. Yeah. You know, and like there should be more of an effort to, to help. But yeah. I, I don't know if there is. It's, it's LA. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a weird place. It's brutal. Um, we should talk really quickly about the, the chief of police of Malibu scene. Oh. Uh, one of the great scenes. Because at one point, someone like the dude would have been welcome in Malibu, like in the 60s, probably. Definitely. But now it's, you know, stay out of my beach community. Stay out of my beach community. <laughs> he's uh, so aggressive and angry. I he's love, got those short uh, pants. Oh, man. When he when he whacks him, yeah. he's like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Again, it's it's totally Buñuel. It's totally like the Coen brothers referencing this, like, uh -huh. classic filmmaking, but through the lens of, like, slapstick. Yeah. But you, you do feel for him. You're like. His only form of identification is a Ralph's card. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> He's got no ID. This guy's and off the grid. And that's always been good enough. Um, yeah, I, it, yeah. There's yes. That that scene is unbelievable. He's already been through so much. He thinks he's figured it out. He's in the belly of the beast. Yeah. You know, he he's at the house, and then he, <laughs> going over to the, the post-it pad. Oh, with the Jackie Treehorns? The Jackie Treehorns yeah, post-it pad. Cock and balls. Oh, it's, <laughs> like, how did they do that? I know, man. What were they thinking? Oh, how could they think on that level? Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to bust the crime now. Uh -huh. da, 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 da. Oh, what? Yeah, <laughs> and the only time you see him move quickly in the movie, too, and he like runs back over and sits down. And and yeah, yeah. Oh, it's such a funny juxtaposition to his uh, usual gait. It's it's brilliant. Um, ah, man, there's so many so many sections of the movie I want to get a, a handle on. I mean, the fact that his landlord is doing a cycle and yeah. it's, and it's Stravinsky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm a composer. Uh -huh. Um, when I'm not playing drums, I like write for. Uh, I I just wrote a string quartet. Oh like, wow! So that scene like got me yeah like yeah. the first time i saw it, i'm like there's no way they're referencing stravinsky right now yeah. like there's no way <laughs> how is that how are they getting away with this yeah. like uh you know the music in that movie is already incredible yeah. i mean opening with man and me oh, uh, t-bone burnett's music supervision on yeah. the movie is like it's very soundtrack heavy for cohen's it's soundtrack heavy, but it never, it always feels in, integral to mm -hmm. what's happening. Yeah, and the fact sure. that they use the man and me as like the theme for the movie yeah, is, is 
Such a great music cue. Oh my God, it's so good. And But then you have like, you have the man in me and then you have this like, you know, a forgotten about Kenny Rogers yeah. song. But for by mo- people don't even know that that's a Kenny Rogers song. Oh yeah. You know, like, and he does that song live now. Yeah, I bet he does. I don't, I don't know if he took it back out, but I got the feeling he probably did. Oh, I bet he does. I mean, it's such an outlier for him because when you think Kenny Rogers, you're like, Oh, chicken. And right, right. Yeah. <laughs> a general like, whoa, Kenny Rogers. Uh-huh. That's like an icon. <laughs> but he wrote this great psychedelic song. Um, but the Stravinsky cue, yeah. like when he's on top of the chair uh-huh. and there's and there's like there's like four people there. That's such an LA thing too. But your, Walter's your weird there too. Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, and the dude is so sweet when he asks him, you know. <laughs> about the rent or whatever, and he says, you know, I got the performance or whatever, and he's such My a sweetheart. Cycle. He goes, I'll be there, man. And he's there. Like, and he's there. He showed up. Yeah. You know? Aren't they talking about burgers in that scene, too? Like, let's do, let's go get a burger, or let's go, or... Yeah, I think so. Oh, my God. I mean, he's a good guy, He's you know? a good guy. He's just, yeah. He just wanted that rug. He just, he really <laughs> just wanted that rug. Um, yeah. All right, what else you got for me? Well, I'm looking to see what else we should uh, cover. Of course, I have log jamming on here. Log jamming. Uh, oh, well, well, some of my favorite lines. Uh, hell, I, I can get you towed by 3 o'clock this afternoon with nail polish when they're talking about in the diner with the toe. <laughs> that I've completely... Oh, yeah. Yeah, when Walter's it. like, Walter says it. I, can get get a toe. I can get you a toe by 3 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> 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 like, to, to the dude, that was the, the evidence. Like, no, man, there was a toe. And Walter's like, Pfft. Yeah. Get a toe. Get a toe. Oh my god, that, that is a funny line. But that's what you know. You um, you what you you. I've seen this movie so many times now, and there's always a line that gets me. Yeah, sure. Uh, last night, the line that got me uh, was the aggression will not stand because yeah. because you see the beginning of the movie, and there's George Bush on the TV. He says this aggression against Kuwait, right, will not stand. Yeah, and so it's like the dude will often repeat things that he's heard uh-huh. later. Um. He he does it again later in the movie when they're in the limo, uh-huh. uh, and he's like, uh, "The tr- she's a trophy wife, you know." Yeah. Uh, uh, like he 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 heard somebody else say that and is now mm-hmm. using it as his yeah statement. Yeah, yeah. He does that a lot in the movie, <laughs> he does. and I love that little detail because he's like, he is still kind of aloof, and like he does, he's like still like I don't know what, who I am. Yeah. So like. He hears these things and then uses them, like tries to confidently yeah. use them. But in the limo, it's not working. No, and he's just yeah. stumbling through that whole scene. He says, trophy wife, like in the parlance of our times. Right. <laughs> well, which is another line that uh, Walter used, right? Walter, he steals it from Walter. Yeah, yeah. In the parlance of our times. That's so funny. I didn't really notice that. Yeah, he repeats a lot of things that he's heard. Yeah. And uh, it's it's great. It's a, it's a subtle detail. Yeah, but, well, well, and that's so Cohen's too. They're so precise. Yeah, like there are no accidents, no accidents in their movies. No, not um, at all. The the only line I, I read that was literally the only line that was improvised that they allowed was uh, "human paraquat." Human paraquat. You're a human paraquat. <laughs> which I had to even look up. I didn't even know what it was. I heard that line. It? Paraquat was a was a an, a an herbicide that was used to spray like marijuana fields very controversially that was banned and outlawed. <laughs> so wow. to call someone a human paraquat is such a funny thing. I want to say something about Lebowski and the Coen brothers in, in general that like, I kind of feel as a lost art. And you're, you're, you're mentioning this to me. And I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson is mm-hmm. sort of like the, the next generation of this, but like just deep references. Yeah. Like a movie, like a movie becomes infinite jest or something mm-hmm. like I I love I love stuff like that where you're like um 
you're just digging. You're like, what's a, you, now you're like, what's a paraquat? And how does that right. relate to it? Or like, uh, you know, or, or uh, even in like Kids in the Hall brain candy, like the uh-huh. thalidomide reference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a certain innocence to that sense of humor. Uh, and, and and it's brilliant, but like it reminds me of like Jack Handy's writing for SNL, like mm-hmm. the golden era of SNL. And there's all these deep references, yeah. like Lothar of the Hill people. Uh-huh. You're like, and then you're like, you find yourself like going back and you're like, unfrozen caveman lawyer. <laughs> you know, like just stuff like that where you're like, what is this based off of? Like, what, how, if I'm going to like go back in time, like, how do I connect the dots? And the Cohen brothers are like masters yeah. of that. Um, and they're in a, uh, oh, the, uh, if you will, it, it is no dream. Mm-hmm. The line that Walter walks in, uh, but he's like, That's right. Theodore Herzl, mm-hmm. the is the Israeli leader. You're like, <laughs> I have found myself Wikipediaing Theodore oh, yeah. Herzl uh-huh. about that line. If you will, it, it is no dream. Yeah. And then the Coen brothers are Jewish. So I'm like, I'm wondering, like, is that something that, is that a quote that they liked? Or right, like, right. Why does Wal- Walter say that? And then you're like, oh, Walter ha- has become Jewish. He converted, so he, he probably studied up. He's, he's like studying up and he's like trying, he's like trying his best to be like, I'm practicing Shomer Shabbos. Right. And I'm like, I don't, I don't roll. I sure as shit don't roll <laughs> <laughs> on Saturdays. Uh, you know, it's like, it, it's, uh, I just love that. And, and of course, like there's a theme of Jewish culture throughout all the Coen Brothers movies, like Barton Fink. Yeah. Um, the sort of like. Uh, the the insecurities and the anxiety mm-hmm. of the, I'm I'm also Jewish so I can totally like certainly totally, a simple man oh my god a simple man's like that's the whole movie the whole movie yeah. is like these the anxiety the post Holocaust anxiety of being Jewish mm-hmm. like I see these themes running throughout the whole movie and even like it's in the Big Lebowski which like for some people is just like a frat guy movie yeah which is a it sells it so short it sells it so short I, and I and I do it bums me out that it has uh, acquired that sort of surf superficial yeah. like call like dorm room. Yeah, yeah. Poster. There's a lot more going on there. There's so much going on in the movie. The movie is a work of art. Yeah, uh, I fully believe it's one of their masterpieces. And like, absolutely. Again, you could write books and books upon uh, on like the the minutia yeah. of that movie. And people have done it. And people have done it. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. I finish up here. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could do this for three hours, I feel like. Uh, I finish up here with a couple of segments, uh, one called What Ebert Said, and then five questions. And uh, I always like to go back and see what Roger Ebert thought about these films. This movie is a complete disappointment. And he loved Lebowski. Mm -hmm. Uh, He gave it four stars and said, The Big Lebowski is about an attitude, not a story. It's easy to miss that because the story is so urgently pursued. This is a plot and dialogue uh, that perhaps only the Coen brothers could have devised. I'm thinking less of their clarity in Fargo and No Country for Old Men than of almost hallucinatory logic of raising Arizona and the Hudsucker proxy. Only a steady hand in the midst of madness allows them to hold it together. That and the delirious richness of their visual approach. Beautiful. Yeah, very cool. Thank you, Roger, for believing in this movie. <laughs> it's always disappointing when he hates the movie that well, the, I love. <laughs> this movie was a was a pretty big commercial clunker for them, right? Like it wasn't. Yeah, it just didn't really do. It didn't do Fargo numbers, and it did, definitely didn't do uh, uh, the next movie. Uh, oh brother, oh yeah. brother! It didn't do Oh brother numbers at all. You know, th- those were like acclaimed yeah, films. Yeah, it's it's movie. lived on. Yeah, more than any other films, probably. Do I? Do I? Even, I I've. I've gotten so deep with Lebowski, I'm like, you know, it's kind of like my, it's kind of like Dr. Dog. Like, yeah, it's like underappreciated when it came out. And then it's just like this slow build. Right. You know, like Lebowski is just like a slow build. (laughs) (laughs) You're the Dr. Dog of, uh, or wait. It's the Dr. Dog of movies. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then five questions with Eric Slick. Here we go. Uh, First movie you remember seeing in the movie theater. Oh, that would be Home Alone. Oh, okay. I saw Home Alone with my family, and it was like an iconic moment. And I was three years old, so I was cognizant, and mm-hmm. I was aware that the theater was erupting in pandemonium. Yeah. Uh, I still stand by that movie. Home Alone, oh, yeah. Love Home Alone. Fun movie. It's it's pretty brutal. They Those two guys would have been dead after the first paint bucket hit their faces. Yeah, sure. <laughs> their skulls would have been collapsed. Uh, but yeah. I remember laughing so hard at that sequence, the oh, break-in sequence. It's car- it's, it's cartoony. Like and then you minutes. have Home Alone 2, which is, is the same movie. Uh, I don't even know if I saw that one. Home Alone 2 is the same film. Watch yeah. it again. It's the same film. They, it? they just farted that one out. Yeah. They're that's... like, and then he'll befriend another lonely old person in the movie. And except right. this, one, this time she likes pigeons instead of salting the sidewalks. <laughs> Uh, first R-rated movie you saw? The first R-rated movie I saw was called The Groove Tube. My family... I know was, that movie. My family was very liberal mm-hmm. uh, to an extreme degree where uh, they didn't believe in censorship. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I really appreciate that about them. And uh, they, my parents bonded over this movie called The Groove Tube, which was like a sketch comedy movie. Uh, it's Chevy Chase's first film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's pretty raunchy. And I saw it when I was four. 
<laughs> and uh, it became like a family classic. They'd fast forward through some parts of the movie, like the gratu- some gratuitous nudity scenes. Yeah. Uh, but there was a lot of F-bombs and a lot sure. of, uh, you know, there's a whole like stoner heroin sequence in that movie. It's like, I can't believe my parents showed me that film. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and then they showed me Pink Floyd's The Wall. When, oh, when yeah. I was five. Wow. With the meat grinders. Yeah. And like. Boy, I was into that in high school. Oh, yeah. Who wasn't? Um, I was into it in high school also. <laughs> uh, yeah. that Those were the first two R-rated movies I saw. And I was like four and five. That's good. My parents are cool. <laughs> Very cool people. Uh, will you walk out of a bad movie? Oh, I've, wa- I've walked out of one movie okay. before. And then I went back the next day and saw it again. Whoa. I was on a date. Okay. And I saw the movie Funny Games. Which is a oh, brutal, sure. yeah. brutal film. The original foreign film or the, the remake? The remake that uh-huh. was produced by uh, the da- uh, David Lynch actress. Um, I'll remember some Naomi Watts. Oh, right. Naomi Watts like produced it with the original director. It's a shot for shot remake. Yeah, yeah. But it is so violently brutal. And, yeah. But I, but I like loved it. But mm-hmm. my date did not love it. And she so was you like, got out of there for her. Got out of there after about a half hour, mm-hmm. and she was like, yo, we're not watching this film. And I was like, yeah, cool. But then the next day, I was like, that film ruled. <laughs> uh, and, of course, it's like soundtrack by John Zorn. So I was like, this is my, yeah. this is my bread and butter, you know, like murder movie with uh-huh. John Zorn soundtrack. <laughs> Sign me up. And I also knew that uh, the movie was a statement piece, so it's fine. But that's the only time I've ever walked out of a movie. That's good. That's it. And it was uh, to be a gentleman of sorts. It was to try. I was trying. Yeah. But the sick part of it is that I went back right. the next day. And, <laughs> it's and, a good movie, though. And loved it and then bought it on DVD. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough <laughs> movie, but it's a, I, I did like the movie. And I saw both. Yeah. You got it. Um, so this one, I usually will tailor to, to the guest. Wh- who is your favorite drummer of all mm. time? Well... My and, gu- and you can name a couple, you know. No, my gut reaction has to be Ringo. Only because he was the first drummer I saw on a television. And I think a lot of people had this experience with Ringo. Yeah. Where you see him and you can immediately relate. And uh, I I saw him and he was goofy, but he was beating the crap out of the drums and he was like smiling. And there was just something about that. And I was already interested in the drums, but he was like my first icon, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, even when I drum now, people will be like, oh, you're doing your Ringo thing. And it's like. It's uh, like I was saying how things can be a part of your DNA. Like yeah. Ringo is a part of my DNA. Yeah, I can do. I can play Ringo all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as time wore on, I got you know you go through the laundry list of classic rock drummers, and then I got really into like seventy soul drummers. Mm-hmm. Um, so my twenties and now thirties like has been dedicated to studying classic soul drummers like. Bernard Purdy and uh, Al Jackson Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, when I but prior to that, I was also in a huge jazz phase. So I right. was like studying Tony Williams, mm-hmm. and I was studying uh, Max Roach, and uh, just all uh, Denardo Coleman, uh, just like all these yeah. drummers who were like super important to me. But if if it, there's an origin, Ringo, Ringo, Ringo's the origin. But so much has spread out from that. And nowadays, I would probably say. Either Bernard Purdy's my favorite or a guy named James Gadsden who played on all the Bill Withers stuff. Oh, um, wow. Just because, like, there's such a refined quality. Yeah. Bernard Purdy will also tell you that he played on all the Beatles recordings. He has this, this really outlandish thing. Like, mm-hmm. Bernard Purdy played on 10,000 records, but he still wants to say that he played on all the Beatles records. May or may not be true. I've always heard so much shit talking about Ringo not playing on the records. Yeah. And that Paul was even a better drummer. 
Paul's I, a great drummer. I just, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't believe it. I well, don't want to believe it. I'll tell you why you shouldn't believe it. Because when you watch Let It Be, the whatever rough cut is mm-hmm. out online, Ringo is playing all those drums, and it sounds like Ringo. Yeah, uh, Ringo is that is a hundred percent his touch and feel. It is sloshy. It's weird. He, uh-huh. He's left-handed playing a right-handed kit, so he always leads with his left hand. Interesting. Uh, so his fills always start on a rack tom or, uh-huh. or something that's kind of unconventional. It's not the drummer, like, the right. classic, like, linear way of doing something. Like, it's always... Yeah, yeah. And he had that little, that cymbal sweep thing move he would do. He would, like... He never looked like he was working hard because he was such a laid-back kind of guy. But when you watch those early Beatles performances, those drums are about to shake off the fucking riser. Oh, it's the most punk rock thing. It's uh, that there's a... But he's wearing a suit and he's like, you know... There's that DC performance. I think I know what you're talking about where like... Or it, it, it uh, got remastered a couple of years ago for the Ron Howard movie. The oh, eight man, days, that was so good. Eight days a week. But yeah. they show him, he's just like... They didn't have sound systems back then. There was yeah. no PA system. So he like, is trying to be heard. On the back row. He, he's trying to be heard while people are screaming at a louder decibel level right. than the band is being heard at. Right. Um, but Ringo, yeah, Ringo is so great. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, then when I was like eight years old, I heard John Bonham. And uh-huh. I'm like, sure. then I just tried to do John Bonham. Mm-hmm. Like, I studied that stuff so deeply. And then when I was 14, I like, got really into Prog rock, and mm-hmm. so I studied all the Neil Peart and Bill Bruford. You know, like you just go through the line. Any Levon Helm in there? Oh, totally. Okay. <laughs> so when I was seventeen, I heard the band, and then actually for my eighteenth birthday, my mom bought me tickets uh, for Levon Helm's Ramble at his. Oh, uh, did you go? I went on my on my eighteenth birthday. That's one of my life regrets, dude. I went on my eighteenth birthday, and uh, my mom just bought me a ticket. And this is how cool my parents are. They're like, "Yeah, just figure out a way to go up there." Mm-hmm. I'm eighteen. I have no idea what I'm doing. I took a Greyhound up to Woodstock. Wow. Didn't get a hotel. Didn't realize that I needed a hotel. Uh-huh. And after the show's over, I'm hanging out with Levon. And uh, he's, I'm like, hey, man, you're my favorite. You're one of my favorite drummers. Like, uh, do you know any hotels around here? Did you stay there? No. They, oh. they, <laughs> was Levon was like, I'd offer. He was like, I'd offer it up. But yeah. we already got guests staying. But normally, you yeah, know, yeah. I, would, I would let you stay here. You're know, like... <laughs> He was like, I'll give you the shirt off my back. Yeah, yeah he's man. Very, Such a sweetheart. Very Southern yep. gentleman kind of guy. I um, was able to see him. My buddy uh, that is coming tonight, Eddie, and I saw him uh, on that last tour that he did in uh-huh. Atlanta, uh-huh. Um, which was just like bucket list shit. But we, we always wanted to get to a ramble, and we thought we had time, and we didn't. The the band that I got to see was really good, too. It was like Le- Levon and... Um, Jimmy Vivino from the Conan oh, yeah, band yeah. was playing guitar. This is back when Conan was still in New York. So this is a long uh-huh. time ago. Um, and uh, Hubert Sumlin, who was uh, Helen Wolf's guitar player, oh, wow. was playing guitar. Wow! And then his daughter came out, Amy. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was just a it was just a great night. Like they didn't play. They played Evangeline, uh-huh. and they didn't do any band songs. They, yeah, they did like a bunch of Dylan stuff. They did uh-huh. uh, "Don't You Tell Henry." They did a lot of basement tape stuff. Wow. Um, but it was just a riot, man. It was so fun, so and cool. uh, I had a blast, man. He was amazing to watch. I wish what a great I, thing. you know, like this was before iPhones, so I was just there. Yeah, man. I was just present, watch, great. watching masters in mm-hmm. a barn yeah you know and then there's like a picture of richard Manuel and a picture of rick uh, danko above yeah. the stage 
But yeah, just yeah, I went through a heavy helm phase, man. For yeah. sure. For sure. They're probably my favorite band. Good call. At the although, end of the day. although although uh as the time wears on with their stuff, um they uh their records get a little bit spottier, but well, oh, through their career, through their career, yeah, yeah. But you get, you know, with Northern Light, Southern Cross, you get it makes no difference, which right. is like one of the most heartbreaking, beautiful yeah. songs of all time. So, well, that's why Doctor Dog always kind of reminded me a little bit of the band was not even so much the music, but the the juxtaposition of the two voices of Scott and Toby, uh, and the band had, you know, like Richard Manuel, man, like the maybe the most soulful white dude you ever heard, <laughs> yeah. and then this Southern. Hillbilly with Levon and then Rick Danko and like your permanently nervous voice. Yeah. Oh, what's the, my favorite one? Crazy Chester followed me. (laughs) He's just always so nervous. Oh man. I just, I hate that those, we lost all those guys. I know me too, man. Uh, And we're left with Robbie. (laughs) But who's a genius, but he, Robbie kind of likes to hear himself talk. Check this out though. My first concert ever, which I don't remember, but my first concert ever was Ringo Starr and his all-star band. Oh, wow. He always has great people. But the first year he did it was 1989. Mm -hmm. I went, my parents took me. That was my first show. And it, the band was Levon. Wow. Rick Danko and Jim Keltner. Who is a famous? Uh, he's like Keltner played on all the uh, George Harrison records. Uh-huh. Phenomenal drummer. But that was my first concert, so it wow. was Ringo and the band. So it makes a lot of sense yeah. that I, I would gravitate towards a band like Doctor Dog. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, that's great. That's that's just in there, you know. Oh, well, yeah. and the band was always famous for other people wanting to be in the band. Like Eric Clapton wanted to be in the band, and oh, that's why he made uh, Blind Faith. Yeah, like every time one of them. They were like, oh, that's that's the group I wanted to be in. Oh yeah, they were a musicians band. Yeah, uh, because they were really playing. And well, were, and they came up with the Hawks, and they were like, they, they were, had their chops. They were players. Yeah, uh, they could do it. Um, but uh, the Clapton story is that he broke up Cream when he heard the first band record music from Big Pink <laughs> because he was like, this is what I want to do. This is pointless. They were doing something so different for the time too. I mean, that was the, the band was making that kind of music when like Jimi Hendrix was making. His kind of music. They're kind of like the first hipster band in a way because they were doing everything that was antithetical to what was happening. So you have this like, uh, you know, what's that, um, uh, the line from The Last Waltz? He's like, there are all these bands like Marshmallow Overcoat. (laughs) Um, um, Oh, God bless Strawberry Alarm Clock, Marshmallow Overcoat. And then you have the the band and it's just so pure and so acoustic sounding Mm. in a time when everything was like, wow, wow. Everything was a wash. You get this band that's like, real, like there's no picture of them on the album cover. Yeah. The famous thing was, uh, what the the photographer for the band Elliot Landy, mm-hmm. um, the the label Capital was like, uh, we want to get you the best photographers because you're going to be the best band. You're the band, and Robbie yeah. Robertson was like, can you find the worst photographer? Uh-huh. And somebody at the label was like, what? And they're like, well, there's this guy Elliot Landy who writes for Cream magazine who is the worst photographer I've ever seen. Uh-huh. And he ended up doing the band's photos, and he does the, the national those iconic photos there on the farm. The, yeah. all, all those photos are Elliot Landy. Those wow. are all, all those iconic photos, and Nashville Skyline, which is uh, one of the most geez. like incredible album covers. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. this goes to show you that, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just gotta go, you go against the grain as much yeah. as you can, right? Like, did you ever see Festival Express? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the the, the uh, I shall be released from Festival Express is like yeah. Top, top notch. Yeah. Uh, and 
you know, funny you should mention it, like every year in uh, New York at the Capitol Theater in Westchester, I'm, I do a, I'm part of a last waltz. We do the complete last waltz, all, wow. all four hours of it. Yeah. Uh, Toby's done it. Scott's done That's it. That's great. Um, my girlfriend Natalie's done it. Um, Man, I might have to go to that. We're doing it again this year. When do you, when is it? It's like a week before Thanksgiving. Okay, because they do a similar thing in Atlanta at uh, this place, Smith's Old Bar. They do the oh, Last Smith. Waltz thing. Yeah, I played yeah. Smith a bunch. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's awesome. Uh, the complete Last Waltz is fun though because you do all the stuff that's not in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So you're doing like uh, these weird Neil Young like seasides uh-huh. you know, like uh, <laughs> four strong winds and then uh, you do Joni Mitchell's Coyote which uh-huh. is in the movie but then you do like uh, uh, what uh, Ferry Sings the Blues wow which is like uh, Court and Spark song that's like super long and weird uh-huh. uh, and then there's a lot of blues jams yeah, that sure. you gotta do yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just biding their time waiting for Neil Young to finish up his like uh, yeah. cocaine mountain of cocaine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's so twitchy in that movie. Oh, uh, they, you know, the. La- I feel like before you've asked me this last question, uh-huh. you know that they edited out his coke booger. That's like the. Yeah, I've heard that. He had a, like a. You could see it on film, right? Scorsese edited it out. <laughs> edited it. Yeah. It, it's gone. Coke booger. That's a good band name. There you go. Um, all right. And finally, yes. boy, we just went down the band rabbit hole. Sorry. That's, no, I will. That's easy for me to do. Yeah, so. yeah. And I brought it up. Yep. Uh, movie going one on one with Eric Slick. Here we go. What's your What's your ritual like at the movie theater? Where do you sit? What do you get at the concession stand? Oh man, this, I feel like this is such a indicative of my personality. But I walk right up the stairs and I go directly in the middle. Mm-hmm. I go right in the middle because I like to be at eye level with the screen. Okay. I've been in. I I've had so many situations where I showed up late to the theater mm-hmm. and I got to sit all the way up front and I'm like squinting to see Borat or, you know, like, right. <laughs> or like I've been all the way in the back and I can't hear everything. So I try to go early enough to sit really close. And then, you know, if I'm alone, I get Reese's Pieces. Okay. Uh, if I'm with Natalie. Because you don't want to share? <laughs> no, if I'm alone, I'm just like, I get the king size Reese's Pieces. And yeah, it's like, yeah. Indulge. I indulge. And maybe that's like an E.T., like a subconscious uh-huh. connection to movies and what candy I should be eating at movies. Right. <laughs> um, but if I'm with Natalie, uh, we either get uh, popcorn or sometimes we'll even like sneak snacks in mm-hmm. in her purse. Yeah, that'll um, move. But yeah, we uh, there's a there, we we live two blocks away from the Criterion Cinema oh, cool. in uh, Virginia, so we're like we're loving it. Reserve seating there? Uh, there's no reserve seating. Oh, okay, uh, but. It's Virginia, and then like right. like not a lot of people are going to the Criterion part. Usually, they're going to the main cinema. Yeah, and the Criterion is sort of the, you know I'm the art house. It's the art house one. So like when there's a new Woody Allen movie or something, mm-hmm. we'll go. Or you know if there's some movie we need to see, we, we, we check it out. And nice. That's our little. That's that's about as much of a ritual as we can do. It's usually a movie is like well, it looks like crap outside, so right. we should go see a movie. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, man. All right, dude, this was great. Oh, it's so fun. What a fun talk. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like I could have gone for another four hours. I know. Right? Yeah, I'll have you back in in a year. Oh, please. I would love to come back. For sure. Yeah, man. All right, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, everybody, another one in the can. That was a good one. Uh, just to follow up, Eric was kind enough to put me and my buddy Eddie on the guest list. Dr. Dog that night with backstage passes. We went down to the Tabernacle and saw the band, and they were awesome. Went backstage, hung out, 
with the boys, and uh, it was a lot of fun. One of one of the great nights. And he, you know, we talked a little bit about music and uh, privately, like you know, what's it like out there playing all these shows day after day? And don't you get bored and sick of it? And they were they were pumped after the show. And he came back and he was like, dudes, he went, you just saw a perfect Doctor Dog show. And he was like, good for you. We hit on all cylinders. Everyone had a great time. Because I always wonder, you know, when I'm seeing a band, you know, it looks like they're enjoying it most times. But he was like, you read it right. This is a good one. So uh, support that band. They're awesome. Go out, get their new album, Critical Equation, that was out this year. Uh, or any of their records. They're all great. Uh, just really, really good dudes. So uh, thanks to Eric and thanks to Dr. Dog for helping to hook this up. And uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Why don't you get yourself a musical instrument, learn to play it, and go out and make some noise. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Amy Brown from 4 Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.